going to talk about 21 days and 21 seconds. Now, of course, you know we're on 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we see that Jesus fasted as well. So this isn't just something we're saying, hey, we want to deprive ourselves of food. In fact, someone we were talking to a couple of weeks ago heard this announced that we're doing prayer and fasting. They're like, okay, so what is the fasting thing? I said, well, you fast a food item or Facebook or something. She goes, you fast like food? Oh, my gosh, how will I live? It's kind of funny, but it's actually healthy for us. We know that medically it's good for us, but we see that Jesus fasted. In Matthew 6, verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, not if you think about it, but when you fast, so it's something we should schedule. That's why we schedule the first of the year. The very first thing we're going to do right out the gate is we're going to give God our focus and say we're going to pray and we're going to fast. We also do prayer and fasting in August, but that's actually not as much fasting as feasting, but we're still dedicating 21 days there. But this is our time that we schedule. When you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed. So we shouldn't be running around going, I am so holy, but I'm fasting and I'm going to die. We shouldn't let everybody know so that it's noticed by men that we're fasting. Truly, I say, this is words in red, so this is Jesus speaking. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. So all the, the attention, all the drama that they're getting because they're fasting, they're getting everything. God's not going to give them anything. Verse 17, it says, but when you fast, again, notice, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. So in other words, you need to take a shower, you need to go about your day like you normally would, and not let anybody know. Verse 18, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, for your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we see that that is something God says is a good thing to do. We see Jesus did it, and he gives us instructions when to do it, when we're scheduling it. But the cool thing that I I really got out of this as I was preparing this is the words, and the Father who sees what is done in secret. Now, how many times do we know that God sees something in secret, and we're like, I really kind of wish you didn't see that? Anybody else besides me going, oh, man, I wish, gee, I wish I could take that one back. And, oh, nobody saw me, but, oh, God saw me. But God sees us in secret, and he will reward you. Well, what's he going to reward you? What you're praying about. What are you asking God for? What, we're not just fasting to be hungry. We're fasting because we're asking God to accomplish something. We're asking God for our prayer list for 2017. We're asking God to change the lives of the people that are around us. Maybe you're praying and fasting for a family member, for someone to find healing. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we prayed for Hannah that God would touch her, and she was in a desperate situation, and God just miraculously touched her, and she walked out of the hospital On her own volition, you know, less than a week later, it's a complete, absolute miracle. Well, maybe we're praying and fasting for someone else that that's what's going to go on in their lives, that God's going to do something. When we do this in secret, it says God will reward you. 
We also know that we're focusing this month, and for several months actually, on the book of John, and we're trying to read the first 17 chapters. So we're actually seeing what Jesus' words are. We see what Jesus did. If we say we're going to be Christians, we say we're going to be Christ's followers, shouldn't we kind of know what Jesus did? But we have all these things of what we think Jesus did, or people tell us what Jesus did, or Jesus says this. People wear the little wrist bracelets years ago that says, what would Jesus do? Okay, well, we kind of need to know what he would do. So I've challenged you guys to join me in reading through the book of John. If you can't read it all through one day, then do half of it, do whatever you can do. But when you get through, read it again. So we kind of get soaked and saturated in what Jesus actually did and what he said. So we're going to look today in John chapter 4. And those of you who have been reading with me, you've probably read this a couple of times already. But this is a cool little story. Jesus just got through with this great ministry time. And he was just giving out, giving out, giving out. Have you ever been there and you just give out and give out and you feel like there's nothing left for me? I love the fact that Jesus, as our example, is just very much like what we are. Verse 6, we see, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey and ministry, he just finished ministering and then went on a journey, was setting by the wall, by the well, sorry. And it was about the sixth hour. So it's about dinner time. Jesus is weary. He just gave everything out to the people. He's now walked this journey, and he's tired. Has anybody else been tired and just like, man, I've been going and going and going. And that's what I feel like this week, this past week, has just been, I'm going and I'm going and I'm going and I'm tired. Verse 7, and there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. But since she's a Samaritan woman, he wasn't actually supposed to talk to her, and she was supposed to talk to him, and all these social things that were going on, these little dynamics that are going on. And Jesus knew about it. He wasn't oblivious to it. He actually had ministry in mind. Verse 9, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for the Jews should have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Have you ever been with somebody, and it's like, man, if you knew who that was you were just talking to, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I would have totally dealt with that differently. I know that Different people can be valeting or being at different places, and somebody rich and famous comes through, and you don't have a clue who it is, and it's like, oh my gosh, do you know who that was? And they're like, no, I was clueless of it. And he says, if you knew who was standing in front of you, can you imagine if you're there, and you're just going about your daily business, and Jesus is there, the Son of God, and he asks you for something, and you're like, ah, I'm kind of busy. And it's like, you know, you really shouldn't be asking me to do this. He goes, if you only knew. So she said to him, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How are you going to get that living water? So she's still thinking naturally. She doesn't understand, of course, what he's saying, which is natural. He says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, 
are you who gave us this well and drank of it himself and the sons? So she's trying to get into the politics of this whole thing. And Jesus answered to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But he who drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. He's talking in a metaphor, of course. He's talking about you're not just the natural thing that you just got to keep coming to this well every day. But what I have to give you is so much more than just the water. It's actually eternal life. Verse 15, then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come all this way down here to draw again. She still doesn't get he's talking in a metaphor. She thinks he's really going to give her some magic water that she's never going to have to come down there and pull this. I mean, that, can you imagine? That was their job back then. So they got all these big pots, and they're having to you know, go all the way down there, fill this stuff up, and walk all the way back up there. She's like, you got a magic pot that I don't have to do this again? Give it to me. Maybe a little sarcasm going on in there. I don't know. And he said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered, said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have answered correctly, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one to whom you have now is not your husband. So you have said this correctly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine talking to Jesus, and you don't really even know who he is, and maybe she hasn't heard about him, and, you know, she just doesn't know. I mean, she's here trying to talk politics. She's trying to, you know, understand his metaphors and and how he's doing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, you know, he just calls out everything that's going on in her life. I love what she says, the next verse, verse 19. And she said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? I mean, he just told you everything about you, and it was all true, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Verse 21, we're going to jump down that. Jesus said to her, woman, believe in me, and an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, and salvation is from the Jews. I won't get muddled down in all this stuff. But an hour is coming... And now is when true worshipers will worship the Father. The woman in verse 5, or 25, I'm sorry, says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he's called the Christ. Jesus said to her in 26, I who speak to you am he. So he's been trying to tell her this all along. She knew theoretically in her mind, but isn't that kind of like us? Sometimes we know in our mind, but it's not really hitting our heart. I love verse 28. So she left her water pot, and she went back into the city and told everybody, come and see a man who told me all the things I've done. This has got to be the Christ. And she was the forerunner. She was the one who ran in and got everybody to come out to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples get back there, and they're bringing all the food that they went into town to get, remember? And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, come and eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Again, he's talking in a metaphor. So the disciples, I love the disciples now, they don't get it sometimes either like we don't, said to one another, no one brought him food. How did he get anything to eat? How does this work? And then Jesus went on to say, and this is where we're going with this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, we are fasting the 21 days. We're praying, 
God said, Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, do these things. But there may be times that we may be hungry. I personally am not eating meat. So I'm craving that meat. And Jesus says right here, it is possible to have meat to food that you do not know about because I'm doing the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, our fasting, again, isn't all about not eating. It's about doing the will of the Father. I heard an interview on, on the radio this week from Graham Wood, and he was talking about ISIS. And he was in a unique situation that he went in as someone who was going to be a convert, and he's a journalist or something like that. And he went and worked his way up in Syria and all those countries over there. I don't know if anyone heard that interview. It was very interesting, him talking about how they tried to recruit him. And the chief recruiter, the chief person who's training everybody over in the other country, is from Dallas, Texas. 20 minutes from where Graham Wood lives. His dad is a radiologist in Dallas, Texas. He grew up here. It's just like blew his mind because he's thinking it's some radical person that grew up in the, in the desert and all these different things. And here's somebody who grew up in Highland Park kind of areas, if you're following what I'm saying, with more than enough given to him. And as he started questioning him about it, he found out that he wanted his life to account to more than just having a job. That just going to college, which he had gone to, wasn't fulfillment. He was looking for purpose in his life. They provided him a purpose. You see, that's the whole purpose of what we're supposed to be doing as the church. That's why we have the growth track to help people find their purpose in life, to find out why God created them and what their calling is in life, and to give us something that's bigger than us. See, because the word of God is powerful in your everyday life. I want to tell you a story about myself. That I grew up in Christian church. I grew up and went to a, a Christian high school. And they made us memorize a chapter of the Bible every month. So for the four years, we me- I memorized a whole bunch. And I can't quote them all. I was able to stand up and quote them word perfect at the time, but it's all still down inside of me. And I reached, when I went to Florida, when I first got to Florida, I had this point, and I had been praying about something, and I had somebody just come really just right smack up against me, and it would have hurt less if he just really like punched me in the face or beat me down. But he said words to me that was challenging that God didn't speak to me on a particular issue. And I was so devastated. I started driving out to the beach. Just, I I didn't know what to do. I'm not really a beach kind of a person, but I was going out to the beach thinking, well, I I don't know. And I, I remember driving in my friend's car, and I'm like, this is all just a joke. It's all fake. I've given my life. I'm now 24 years old. I've given my life. I just got off the road from traveling all these countries. I've been all these services, and it's all a joke. It's not real. And this overwhelming attack came upon me. 
just walk away from it all. And as sure as I'm driving down Fruitville Road in Sarasota, Florida, scriptures start becoming alive to me. I wasn't thinking about those scriptures. I wasn't thinking about nothing other than I was disappointed and I'd wasted 24 years of my life. I was so upset. And these words of God started coming out inside of me. And it started building me back up. And I realized, see, because where I knew God had spoken to me and I saw God move when I was on the road, when I'd be praying for someone and God would give me a word for them, I knew that voice was the same voice that had told me this other situation. So if this wasn't God, that wasn't God. And God was able to minister to me and the angels were able to give me just help and sustenance, like the drinking of water when you're really, really thirsty. Another time, I'm in a worship band, like what we just had great worship here, and right before we started, one of my closest friends just said some words that just cut me to the core. I mean, literally, the countdown to worship is like one minute there and just shreds me on the stage. And I sat there just like, like my guts are falling out. And I was so overwhelmed and just trying to get beat down by an attack that I literally sat through the entire worship set, which I think was around 35 minutes. And all I could say is I'm playing is great peace have they that love thy law. They will not be easily offended. And as soon as I said it, it started coming against me again. And I'd say it again and again. And I said it through the entire time of worship. I walked off the stage. I sat in the back. Lenore didn't even have a clue what was going on. Jen was just a baby. And she was probably in the nursery for all I know. I don't remember anything. But I remember I had to keep saying those words over and over again. I wasn't able to live minute to minute. I wasn't able to live an hour by hour. It was every, As soon as I got through saying that, it just came over me like a wave. I had to keep saying it over and over again. That's the word of God. Great peace of they that love thy law. I'm just calling on God to help me through this next second. Heard a story this week of someone who was struggling with depression. Actually was a very well-known man of God. Served at two different Bible colleges that were gigantic as the president and became the great things. It turned him around. I mean, just if you knew who he was, you would never think that he has a problem. And it struggled with great bouts of depression that he couldn't even function. Not wanting to go on. Much like the guy this week who wanted me to kill him. Offered me $500 to shoot him in the head. First, I thought he was joking. And then I kind of, you know, just kind of played it off a little bit. And then he looked me dead in the eye. He goes, I'm serious. It's kind of crazy. You see, sometimes getting through what we're going through and the different things that try and overcome us, whether we're Christians, whether we know Christ, or whether we've never heard anything about Christ, sometimes it's not even taking it one day at a time. Sometimes it's not taking it one hour time. I was at dinner last night with someone and said that people with addictions, and he goes, you've never been to those kinds of things. He goes, but I have. He goes, sometimes 
going to a meeting a day isn't enough. You have to go to two meetings a day. You have to go to three meetings a day. You have to go to four meetings. You do whatever you have to do to stay in a healthy place. You see, the, God's word is the greatest opportunity for us, just as I gave you those examples that happened to me. I walked away from that experience in the worship team, and I went, and it's still actually on that keyboard stand right now. You can go look at it. it I put on there, unity at any cost. Because, see, I could have fought for what he said that was wrong or what I perceived was wrong. Maybe he's right and I'm wrong. I don't know. I could have went and I could have had confrontation. I could have blew up the whole worship set. I could have got upset. I could have stormed off. I could have done Thankfully, no one knew what was going on. Honestly, this person doesn't even know what he did to me. Because of God's word. So the person that I just mentioned to you that struggled with depression, God led him down a path And it was really, really awesome. It was really, really encouraging to me. He said that God led him to the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago. And he also led him to the 23rd Psalm. We also looked at that a couple of weeks ago. So we're going to kind of circle back and bring both of those into focus. He said the Lord's Prayer can be said, you want to guess how, how many seconds? 21 seconds is the average time it takes to just say the Lord's Prayer. But rather than letting it be just something that is just routine or rote or just something I've got memorized, kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance, like da 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 in 21 seconds, you can go through it and you can pull out the words of Jesus teaching us how to pray. Matthew 6, we see where Jesus teaches them. He said, pray then in this way. Our Father, you know this, right? Who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, we see right there, this is something we should be doing daily, is having this communication with God the Father. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Verse 14, for if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See, Jesus doesn't stop at where we stop. He continues. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you. But do you see where this is at? This is Matthew 6, 15. The next verse is the one we first looked at and it said, when you fast. So Jesus is going directly from the Lord's prayer into when you fast. Isn't that amazing? So he's not saying it's going to be easy for you. Just pray this prayer and everything's fine. The next words are, and when you fast, this is what you do. It's interesting that both the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer both start off with the Lord, our Father. The Lord is my shepherd. There's also two key parts that also correlate between them. One's in the New Testament, one's in the Old Testament, of course. 
He restores my soul is verse 3 of Psalm 23. And how is that restoration of our soul? It's when we are forgiven of our debts. And Jesus goes on to say that you have to forgive other people in order to receive forgiveness. That is the whole process of restoring. The Lord's Prayer is important for us to stay focused on every day. And everything has to be framed in starting with who God is. No matter what struggles come against us, whether it's an attack like I had when I was driving to the beach and just ready to give it all up, I was ready to give it all up. When I was on stage and just overwhelmed, the person that wanted me to kill him this week, the guy who wanted to throw a rope over a tree branch and end his life. There are people all around us with significant difficulties. Bow your heads with me. Father, the first words of the 23rd Psalm is the Lord is. You are. And that's a great place for us to find ourselves to start any request. The Lord is. Father, as we've looked at the scriptures today about prayer and fasting, about you talking to the woman, about you having meat and food, of doing the will of your Father. It points us to a personal relationship with our Father. And Lord, I ask that we all feel the challenge to be deeper with you. Fathers, we're in the middle of this 21 days of prayer and fasting. I pray that you would help us to know the people around us. Father, I pray that you would help us to to do the will of you. As Jesus said in verse 34, and to accomplish the work of the Father. The number one will of the Father is that we all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus to know that Jesus was the sacrifice that was for our sins so I don't want to ever deliver the word of God in an environment or an atmosphere and not give anyone the opportunity first of all, foremost to receive him so maybe you're like the people I've talked to this week you know you're not right with God maybe you've never accepted Christ or maybe you know that everything isn't cool between you and God and you're far from him no matter where you find yourself today you're able to pray this prayer right now and turn your life around
And that's what we're praying for in our 21 days. That's what we're believing for. You can simply say this prayer with me. I invite you to do it. Father God, I accept Jesus as your son. I recognize that I haven't been doing a good job of leading my own life. I've made some mistakes. And I want to give you control of my life. Ask you to come in and to lead me in the way you want me to go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.